0: Welcome to GRE Snacks, snackable episodes about the GRE exam and graduate school admissions. I'm Tyler, the founder of Achievable, and we have an affordable GRE course that includes everything you need to ace your GRE exam, a full textbook, videos on key topics, tons of GRE questions that are backed by our memory-enhancing algorithm, a built-in study planner, a machine learning essay grader, and plenty of full-length practice exams. You can try it out for free by visiting achievable.me, and if you like it, the code podcast gets you 10% off at checkout. Now let's get started. Today we've got Airfun Gula back on the show from Gmat Compass and GRE Compass. And would love if you could just introduce yourself for those who haven't heard your episodes before and uh a little bit about your company.
1: Uh sure well thanks for having me again. Um so I've been a GRE and GMAT tutor full time for the past 15 years. I have a small company with two other tutors and uh, just my personal qualifications. I have a perfect score in the GRE and I'm sole author of McGraw Hill's Guide to the GRE, which has been in print for over a decade.
0: Yeah, fantastic. And um, today, I mean, it's going to (laughs) be,
1: as somebody who uh,
0: has straddled both tests for a long time, it's going to be really interesting to talk to you about this. Um, We have the new GMAT focus. Which kind of was announced earlier this year, and then the GRE, whether or not you think it's in response, is maybe something that's interesting and worth talking about. But the GRE announced uh, that as of September twenty third, twenty twenty three, there's now going to be the all of the GRE tests are going to be a much shorter format, going from three hours forty five minutes to two hours. So first, I'm just curious, sort of. You know, why you think both of these tests have gone in the shorter, less time direction, right? Kind of mirroring the digital SAT in the undergraduate world. And then um, what you think is going to be the impact on the market and then also, you know, how the tests compare now in terms of like difficulty and which one you'd recommend to students for different things.
1: Uh, yeah. So first, yeah, starting with just the general decision to shorten the exam, I think part of this uh, does stem from just a desire to make the exam just I mean, for if not, for lack of a better term, marketing. I mean, from the perspective of the test makers, they. There has been a drop in demand for both exams recently, especially among U.S. Mm-hmm. test takers, and um, making these modifications just makes the test a little more palatable for students and makes people more likely to take these exams. There's that, but it, more importantly, I do think uh, the changes were undertaken with the goal of making the GMAT even more competitive relative to the GRE. Uh, you know, over the mm-hmm. last 12 years, since it, in, it was 2011 when the GRE made the changes to become. Uh, tests for business school as well and you know it's gradually taken over market share to the point where I believe up to a third of admits at Harvard last year were um GRE test takers. Um so
0: Harvard Business School.
1: Yeah for HBS, yeah.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: Um and so you know shortly the exam was from the perspective of the Gma I believe just essentially another competitive advantage. Um also I think it is interesting, you know, they removed sentence correction, which was the one question type that was very different from anything you see on the GRE. And I I, I mean, you know, it's hard to, we can specula- speculate about why they remove sentence correction. You know, one reason might be they don't want that differentiation from the GRE because it might sway people away from taking it. Um, mm-hmm. There's, of course, an argument as well, you know, these sort of grammar skills, proofreading skills just aren't really as relevant in the modern day business world. And I, I think there's some relevance to that.
0: There is Grammarly now, <laughs> so
1: yeah, exactly. Right, you, I mean, there's, there's, you
0: should be using these tools.
1: And there's AI. I mean, it's just like you know, proofreading isn't really gonna in the future be as useful as it has in the past. So I think that decision is understandable. Um But uh yeah, I mean, there's that. I also think you know, they change the scoring of the exam as well. Um, in a way that I also think was done to be more competitive with the GRE. Uh, I have a lot of students who come to me after having studied for the GMAT, want to pivot to the GRE. And part of their issues with the GMAT historically have just have been psychological obstacles with, the computer adaptivity of the GMAT. It just adjusts it difficulty to a point where questions get really challenging and that becomes something that is just, it's not something we're accustomed to in traditional schooling and it could just right. cause a lot of issues in the test taking process. Well, and
0: it makes it, it made it so that you couldn't go back. Exactly, and like, exactly. And so, you, and so you'd, you would you know be stressed out about like answering the question because you didn't feel like there was any, like, you know, you, you was one and done.
1: Right, exactly.
0: And then and then you get it, you know, let's say the other thing, too, I agree with you, like the the whole psychology around, like getting it to change every time, you know, you like you answer a question, maybe you get it right or wrong. You don't really know. But then the next question is kind of easy and you're like psyching yourself out.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, It's interesting. It seems that it's going to be sort of like quasi computer adaptive, but it will permit students to go back and change answers, which is. You know, whether or not that's that in practice, is that useful? I think just the knowledge that that is a possibility does, um, you know, psychologically can be company to a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, now, I mean, the big change with the GMAT focus, I mean, other than it being much shorter is also that you can go back right. to three questions. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Within, within every given section, you could go back. You could bookmark and go back and uh, change up to three questions. The, the thing that is interesting there is, right, I mean, if, why are you only allowed to change three questions instead of, whereas, you know, in the GRE, you could literally just go, go back and change every question. Uh, I think the most likely explanation there is, I mean, it's still fu- fundamentally is computer adaptive. And because re- with computer adaptivity, it doesn't make sense to be allowed to change questions because that question is determining what you see next. Um, So there's like, it's, it's interesting. The algorithm has changed, you know, there's like, there still isn't an element of computer adaptivity, but I don't think it's going to necessarily be as stringent as, uh, it has been in the past.
0: Yeah. Well, I also think, um, I mean, they, they said something about, oh, well, like you could, you know, answer every question wrong or something to get really easy questions and then go back and change all your answers. Like that was like their, their stated like explanation for why they don't allow you to change more than three. But I also just think that like that would not give you a good score anyways. Like if you did a bunch of easy questions and got them all right, like wouldn't that not give you an eight hundred? Right? Like I feel like I feel like the that <laughs> they should they. I think that that's sort of maybe they're they're limiting themselves, but that's just me.
1: Yeah, it's right. That's very strange. It still is. I mean, the very fact that they're concerned, people can go back and change the answers. I mean, I think like that implies there's this um, computer adaptivity to it. Um, yeah, generally with computer adaptivity, you, the, it's paying attention to the level of difficulty, the questions you're missing. Um, so if you're doing a bunch of easy, going back and changing the questions, I guess you might. I mean, you'll do a little bit better on some of them, but you're still going to impose a ceiling on your score if you do that. I mean, I don't really see why they would try to account for that specifically. It's actually sort of right. If they said that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, maybe. I mean, I think they're, they don't want to actually change too much, but I think they're trying because of the competitive pressure from the GRE. Like they kind of feel like they have to. Yeah, um, but then that leads to the kind of my second question, which is okay. GMAC comes out with the GMAT focus. They've also had the Executive Assessment out. The GMAC, uh, the Graduate Management Admissions Council, has had the test, the Executive Assessment out for a little while, and so then the GRE comes out, kind of guns blazing. And says all the GREs are two hours now.
1: Yep. <laughs> starting
0: starting sooner than the GMAT focus comes out. Yeah. Right. So I'm really I'm really curious what you think about that decision, and also, you know, do you do you think it was in response to what was going on, or maybe they had already been planning it? Like, yeah, very curious.
1: I mean, my suspicion is this was just in response to. And maybe they knew GMAT was up to you know some changes, but I think fundamentally this this is a response to GMAT changes. I mean, it's not surprising GMAT shortened their exam, making it. I mean, the GMAT in its current in its new version would be about half the length of the current GRE, which is not a trivial difference for test takers, obviously. Um, And yeah, I mean, I think again it just goes to goes back to wanting to have a competitive advantage or not wanting to let their competitors get ahead of them. And I think the easiest change for ETS was just a shortening, which is what they did. Right. They haven't actually changed any of the fundamentals of the exam the way GMAT has. Right. Like ETS, they're not they've, they're they removing the analyze the argument portion of the essay. Uh, but outside of that, you know, the quant verbal sections fundamentally are still the same testing, the same skills, same question types. Um, still section adapt is still going to have two quant sections and two verbal sections. just going to be fewer questions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm curious. Um, I am curious that about a couple of different things. Um, first and foremost is the, um, the fact that the GMAT focus edition now includes the data insights that were kind of like the, the stepchild of the, of the sections in the core uh, score. Right. Do you So what do you feel like that impact is going to be?
1: Uh, so, I I mean, personally, I think it's a good decision. I think it's well-informed. So they, what is now integrated reasoning is going to be lumped in with data sufficiency into one big section called data insights. And integrated reasoning, which they introduced, you know, whatever, over a decade ago. I think it was like maybe 2011, 2012, something like that. Um, is actually a better predictor of business school performance than the other sections on the Gmail. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think they accrue enough data to justify, well, okay, you know, right now it's an afterthought. It doesn't really, it does. it's not accounted for in that overall score of 800, but it does, I mean, obviously it is relevant. It is predictive. So uh, making that decision to incorporate that into the scoring that schools actually care about, I think makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, it is interesting that they're removing data sufficiency from the quote unquote quant section and putting that into data insight. So now in the GMAT, the, you know, what we'll call the math section, of the quant section is just problem solving, mm-hmm. so just standard multiple choice. Which I think it's actually a pretty interesting decision. Um, it, it makes sense though, because data sufficiency is not. Focus as much on like rigorous mathematical abilities, the way problem solving is. It's a little bit more like working through logic puzzles in a sense, and you know, finding evidence to justify certain conclusions based off data. Um, so high level, I think their decision to you know, move things around the way they have, um, is totally reasonable.
0: Cool, yeah. And then I'm, um, I'm also kind of curious now that we've got these two tests, and you know. They're correct me if I'm wrong, like a little bit even more similar than they used to be, <laughs> right yeah. I mean to 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 some extent um I mean what's what is your what is your thought about recommending these to different types of students right like I don't need you to necessarily pick one over the other for all times unless you want to because I figure it depends um but I am curious, sort of like where do you feel like this changes which one you recommend to students and why
1: yeah you know it's the kind of thing it, so there's a couple unknowns here the major unknown is how schools are going to interpret the new gmat scoring so basically the, the current gmat is 200 to 800 in 10 point increments the gmat focus is just like randomly from 205 to 805 which whatever fine i guess they're doing that to differentiate but the bigger issue here that is a little bit of an unknown is on the the current GMAT, you know, like the Holy Grail, where it's like, okay, a score that you feel somewhat comfortable with, if you're applying to a top MBA program is a 700. Mm -hmm. Now, GMAT.
0: Like, but you want like higher than that.
1: You want higher, right? But at a minimum, just having that round score of a 700, you know, does just have a kind of appeal to admissions committees. And GMAT is, and so 700 right now is around 90% or something that ballpark. Now, the new exam is out of 805, 10-point increment. So, you would think the scoring is the same, but the percentiles are skewed in a much different way. It's a lot more top-heavy. So, on the new exam is 700. Well, they don't even have 700. 705 is like 99th percentile. And what GMAC has been saying is the equivalent on the new GMAC, the, the GMAT Focus, the, seven, the equivalent of 700 on a percentile basis is going to be 650. Um oh. The question is so they're, they're
0: just blowing like the, the top end is like way wider now, right? Yeah. Because if you're saying 700 is 99th percentile, that means that there's a huge range in that top 1%. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, it basically means, yeah, you know, any seven, if I'm, I'm looking at the chart right now, 705 plus, you're 99th percentile, um, which is, yeah, it's interesting that they're doing that. The real question is, you know, they're explicitly saying, well, look, You know, 655 on the new GMAT is the equivalent of 700 on the old GMAT. The the question that I don't really have an answer to yet is, well, how are business schools actually going to interpret this data? Are they going to view a 655 as equivalent or are they going to really still have a bias toward that kind of round number of getting a 700 plus? And if it's the latter... I mean,
0: I think I think that the, the latter is what you should assume, right? Because like, how many people are actually going to read their guidance, let alone like incorporate it fully?
1: Right. Uh, that- like
0: human psychology is really hard to change. Exactly. And then, like people love round numbers. Yeah, right?
1: exactly. And it's just uh, especially, I mean, it doesn't make. If GMAT wanted to overhaul this, why are they still doing it out of essentially 800? Like, if that's the thing that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Might as well just completely revamp the scoring so if there is so that, that bias just won't have an impact, period. But, but the point with respect to test takers and the, the big unknown right now is, well, okay, if the schools are still going to want a 700, if they still have that bias, then that's a strong argument against taking the GMAT. Because getting a 700-plus on the new GMAT is going to be 99%. Off. Which is uh, obviously just definition.
0: Which used to be like seven eighty, yes, or seven at least seven fifty,
1: and it's just an exceedingly difficult score to get. You know, just by yeah. definition, obviously. Um, so that's really <laughs> the L through the room. I mean, the, you know, how will business schools actually interpret these scores? Um, that very fact of you know the unknown there, I do think, um, to some extent, argues in favor of taking if you're on the fence, taking the GRE or the GMAT. Um, other considerations the quat still you know the quat historically on the gmat has been more difficult than on the gre and that still was the case um you know gmat has published you know new questions representative of what's going to be on uh the new gmat and you know the level of difficulty the ceiling there still is higher than what you're going to get on the gre and again it's still at its heart is computer adaptive um and that does mean you'll see Uh, some pretty challenging questions, which could still, you know, introduce those kind of psychological hurdles that you're not going to experience in the GRE.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing too, um, that's surprising is that the, I mean, having such a broad difference between a 99th percentile score and a 99.9th percentile score really means that you're like catering to like the power users or like the very top of the pyramid. Right. But people, including those at the very top of the pyramid, they, people really like to get perfect scores. People really like, to, like, if, if you grade a class on a curve, right? Like, I was at Carnegie Mellon, there was an engineering class where if you got a 17 out of 100, you were getting a B on this test. And everyone hated that. People yeah. hated it. Like yeah. they yeah.
1: yeah. Like it was yeah. like you got a thirty,
0: you got an A. And right. people were just like, This is so stupid. Like make a test
1: where an A isn't a hundred.
0: Because people really like, you know, especially people who have grown up their whole lives being high performers, people don't like to hear that they're 99th percentile with a seven out of eight. Right? Like yep. they wanna get an eight out of eight. Right. So That it's gonna, I think that's a really, yeah, that and then the 205 to 805 are like two things that I am scratching my head about a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's actually interesting what you're saying. Yeah, it might end up because there's such a gap between within that 99th percentile. uh, You might might have a lot of people just shooting for the stars there because they perceive that gap to be more meaningful than it actually is, right? It's a one percentile gap, but it's also like a hundred point difference.
0: Yeah, the other side of it is, you know, if you're, maybe this is what college admissions officers wanted. Maybe their feedback to GMAC was, hey, you know, kind of everybody has like a 700 plus now. So what do we, like, can you make it so that there's more differentiation? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see kind of like what the impact is of this, but. I think the one thing that I literally just do not get at all is the 205 to 805. Uh, yeah, thing.
1: I I I mean I think it was just, it just seemed like it was some last minute change they made to differentiate this from the old Gmail. Honestly, I mean it just it, it boggles my mind. I have thought about this a lot. I, I mean,
0: the, as somebody who like was took the SAT the year that it went from 1600 to 2400, before now it's back to 1600. Why is it back to 1600? Because everybody hated the 2400 score. Like like people just, you know, people are creatures of habit. I don't know just that is what it is. I am, um, I am curious though. So we talked a good bit about the new GMAT focus and the scoring and things like that. What do you think the impacts are for the new GRE and then similar veins, right? Like, do you feel like the percentiles are going to change very much? No, or?
1: I'm not. I'm well, okay. That's an interesting question. I mean, in theory, it shouldn't because, you know, they're not changing anything fundamental about the exam. They're just making it shorter. Um, in theory, yeah. The right, but the question is: okay, given that it's shorter, you know, so I will say, I mean, the one argument for a lot of my students against taking the GRE has been it is a longer exam, um, mm-hmm. and you know, this. So
0: now you know, it's now it's not,
1: yeah. And so <laughs> right, and so the question is: okay, well, is that going to improve the performance of the average test taker? Right, that's what it, that's sort of the interesting question here, um.
0: Right. Because the idea is that you would, you're would you basically accounting for some performance negativity that's based on the fatigue, basically. Correct. Correct. What's, right. So if you assume that there is, which is a reasonable assumption, then you'd assume that there would be less fatigue for shorter tests. Right. And then right. scores will go up. Does that mean that it gets harder to get a top percentile score? I don't know.
1: Well, that yeah, I think you'd imagine it would skew percentiles upward, right? So, you know, right now, uh, I think uh, on quantum like a 165 is like 93rd percentile, something that ballpark. It might just turn out that, uh, you know, 93rd percentile now might be like a 167, something like that. Um, and so it might, I mean, it's basically, it, it's going to level the playing field and it might just make it that everybody taking the exam on average does a little bit better. So percentiles get skewed upward. I think that's entirely conceivable and that actually, that's interesting, right? Because then... <laughs> You Know that then there that it's already been against taking the GRE potentially because you do have to do a little bit better than it has historically been the case. Um, yeah, that's that's uh, I mean, that's TBD the, how much of an impact that'll have. There's also the flip side though, now the GRE has fewer questions. Um, there's in a sense less margin for error, right? I mean, like in a bit. Uh, proportionally every question is going to matter more so making silly mistakes which has always just been the the worst thing could happen on either of these standardized exams i think will have an even bigger impact um and so you know that might the sort of disproportionate impact of silly mistakes might offset uh the advantage of you know the reduced fatigue that people might be experiencing um
0: yeah i mean i think that that is you know if i have a uh piece of advice to the viewers and you know i'm just the interviewer i'm not the interviewee here but it feels like you know you've got a smaller number of questions to get the same score so minimizing mistakes is a lot more important
1: exactly yeah that's what i'm getting at. i mean all, always with the gre it is set you know being section adaptive the scoring weights the basically missing easier questions hurts you more than missing harder questions so you know the Consequence of that being, well, if you're making silly mistakes, missing ones you should be getting right, it's going to hurt your score a lot. That's always been the case, but now there's going to be less room to hide, in a sense, because there are fewer questions you can get right to offset some of the silly mistakes you might be making. Um, So, yeah, in in a way, you know, I'd say with both exams, it's actually sort of interesting. I mean, in a way, there's a little bit more intensity or pressure because, yeah, they're shorter, right, so less fatigue, but there's a flip side, well, yeah, but you really need to stay on your toes the whole time because it's gonna be hard to offset any sort of mistakes you make.
0: Yeah. And then sort of any other thoughts on this or like parting thoughts about this topic, right? Like what do you think the impact's gonna be kind of from these changes?
1: <sighs> yeah, it's uh I curious to see whether the more international test takers start taking the GRE, and I say that because the sense correction, you know, within the verbal section on the current GMAT, right? Sense correction, critical reasoning, reading comprehension. For a lot of international test takers, people for whom English is not their native language, critical reasoning, reading comprehension can sometimes be difficult to see huge gains in. But for a lot of these kind of test takers, they're able to offset that by just, you know, Mastering every nuance of the grammar test on the GMAT and to get a sense correction score that, you know, still makes the overall verbal score competitive. But now that the GMAT doesn't have sense correction, um, you know, their verbal performance is going to rely solely on critical reasoning, reading, comprehension, um, which could be, which can put international test takers at a disadvantage, which might sway some of them toward the GRE instead. Um, I think that's probably one of the major impacts that's going to come from this. Um, Outside of that, I think fundamentally, you know, as far as American test takers are concerned, for a lot of American test takers who do struggle with the GMAT quant, um, I that I don't think that's going to change. You know, I, I still think it's going to mm-hmm. be more competitive, and I still think people who are generally stronger at verbal, who don't like the psychological barriers imposed by computer adaptivity, would still be better sort of taking the GRE. Got
0: it. Well, thank you so much. This has been GRE Snacks, hosted by Tyler from Achievable with Erifun Gula from GRE and GMAT Compass. And Achievable has a great online GRE course you can try for free at achievable.me. And if you like it, be sure to use the code podcast to get 10% off.